0: From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com.
1: Well, here we are. We are ready to do the remarkable. We are like out slaying dragons and and making magic, right, Lisa?
2: Whatever you say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we We are, though. we are, yes, for sure. And we were talking about change this morning, and why is change so scary?
2: Because change means you got to change. <laughs> I mean, because we, we've been talking about that. It's like it is. It is scary to think I have to change something because I'm very comfortable. And change usually is associated with stepping out of my comfort zone. And we're not real good at that. I know I'm not. A lot of times, so. I'm not either, and, and you
1: really, you think you are, like, I feel like, oh, I'm pretty adaptable, I'm, I'm adventurous, I like change, and then you realize, oh, all of a sudden, maybe I don't like change, maybe I do, you know, fight change, even with you and I, there, you know, we were with each other 24-7, and traveling, and then our lives kind of tweaked and shifted, and you go, wait, no, I don't like this change. I don't like not seeing you and, um, you know, spending yeah. eight to ten hours a day. You know, now I, I miss you. And you you fight that, that change. And we were laughing about, I just got back from Silicon Valley last month. And you're driving and you see driverless cars now. And you know, these little cars with the cameras all over and at the mm-hmm. airport. Looking at... Robots, literally robots at the airport. This artificial intelligence that they they set up like a little daycare area where you can put your kids to play with these robots and watch Dora the Explorer and whatever. Wow. They talk to you. They answer your questions. And my my jaw dropped when I'm walking by, and I there was a, a woman there with a clipboard, and I said, "Well, you know, what is this? What's going on? Are these?" Are they really robots? Like, I feel like I just walked into the Jetsons. This is insane. And she said, yeah, this they, they've come from Japan. And we thought that they would be big with parents letting them play with the children during the day. But what's happening is the elderly. They're $1,500 and... People are buying them to watch their elderly parents. This is what we get to look forward to, Lisa. Nice, nice. Because they talk to you, you can ask them questions, you can tell them what show you want to watch, and they'll just, you know, put it on their little tummy, a little TV screen, and their eyes are cameras. So whoever needs to watch you, it's kind of freaky and creepy, but that's what's going on. And, and we can either embrace this change and go, hey, that's really cool, or we can have that fear. And go, I don't, I don't know what I, what I think about this. And you have been going on, you just got back from the civil rights uh, trip and seeing all kinds of change as well. And how are you embracing that?
2: Well, you know what, before we get too much farther into our little change show, we just want to remind everyone that you are listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're gonna have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at girlfriend.com. We wanna hear from you about what, how you embrace and how you handle and how you think about change. So um, with that, yeah, I I don't know if I would say, we we went on an explore, about six of us, we on an exploratory trip. Um, Down into, we started in New Orleans and we went to Jackson, Mississippi, and then, Birmingham, Alabama, and then we ended up in Atlanta. And it was just, kind of an to a trip to understand really what's going on in our own country. And we're seeing, we've seen so much change happen, um, especially in the past year um, on cultural levels, political levels, uh, just so many different things happening. And how do we really understand and go in there to really um, kind of to be able to embrace or to be able to make change happen? I think the thing that changes, um, some changes are good and, and needed and we need to embrace them but other changes are maybe not so beneficial and we need to to kind of create an alternative to that change and so i think that's kind of in the lens we were looking at this like how do we quit um perpetuating more fear and hatred and division and how do we start understanding that some of the real issues are and get back to just I don't even embrace people and love people. So I know I'm kind of going deep there. <laughs> I think, but I think the whole thing with change is fascinating because it's an opportunity to learn. And that's what we were talking about earlier. Um, we were talking and kind of laughing about our even our own dads. Like with, um, I know with my dad, you know, he doesn't even have a computer. And he doesn't even have a smartphone. And, I, you know, for years I'm like, I'll buy you a computer because, you need to communicate this is how we communicate and it's like you know through text messaging and that's how we send pictures i can't you know we don't print out pictures and take them to our parents like we used to years and years ago it's everything is sent electronically like here's a picture i want to share with you well when somebody's not on a smartphone and refuses to use a computer it's really hard to communicate and keep them current and keep them up to date with stuff and so that's been a challenge because you watch people that refuse to change, um, I mean, because he really, I mean, bless his heart, <laughs> he yeah. refuses to change and learn something new, and, you know, he just kind of jokes about it, and it's like, but, but you're harming and you're you, yourself, in some ways, you've kind of stopped growing, and then it's like, we can't communicate with you, like Lucy, you can't even communicate with your grandkids, because that's the medium, and so, I know for me, um, can you tell I'm caffeinated? Um, okay. I want to be able to embrace change. Some changes that I need to embrace, just even be able, you know, down in the future to communicate and keep current with my grandkids. Mm-hmm. You well, know, I don't want to be that outdated grandparent, right? It, yeah, it it helps you
1: stay relevant. Otherwise, you get into this state of sameness and. Don't you think it leads you down a path of complacency if you are okay staying exactly where you are and never growing and
2: never learning
1: and never embracing the change?
2: Right. No, totally. And, you know, we've we've been talking about, like, even the different generations and uh, the communication style of different generations. And, um, you know, we're talking about the millennials and, you know, and... um, It's a a different world, and we've got to start embracing change and being willing to open ourselves up to change. But, you know, like we've said, too, it's it's always that transition of change. Like, how do we move ourselves into the change? And a lot of times, that's the hardest part, whether it's relocating, um, if we get a career change, all of that um, can be a little painful, even though it can lead you to amazing benefits. And, and there's some great things on the other side of that change. But it's just getting through the change. And so many times we stop short because we're like, oh, it's uncomfortable. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm out of control. I just want to go back to where it was. And that a lot of times is our, um, our default.
1: Yes. And that's what you know. today's show, just as leaders out there, trying to do things and, and be remarkable is the first step is getting people to stretch outside of their comfort zone and I know we talk about that a lot of how do you help people step outside their comfort zones and you have to really learn how to sell change or sell the transition to your teens mm-hmm. And you know even if it's starting back, we're going to get into you know historical fiction here in, in a little bit uh, with our guest who has written a, an amazing novel. but can you imagine a world, you know, back in the early 1700s without streaming music, without mm-hmm. online shopping, without a network of, you know, Uber even, available drivers to take you where you need to go. And obviously, technology has enabled us, you know, to change rapidly, and it's it's powerful. Sometimes we have to sell that. Even as we talk about our dads, rather than going here, you you have to have a smartphone. You have to have a computer we have to figure out how is it going to benefit them, mm-hmm. and what can we do, what would make them go, oh, yeah, that's really cool, and keep selling what, what's in it for them, mm-hmm. and how do you find, you know, the people on your team to truly go, this is why this is so amazing, and, and now we're, we're talking about you know, where, where we are in the stages of our life. But I remember when we first put our first team together, email first came out and we had to sell it on why email was so amazing. Mm -hmm. And remember our team said, we want to use the phone. We want you to call us. We want to hear from you. We don't want just some generic email that goes out to everybody. And it was a hard sell trying to implement and transition them to, okay, but we can literally send this out to 1,000 people. Right. <laughs> How in the world are we going to call 1,000 people? And I, I wish I would have even known, you know, know what we know now back then to go, okay, sit down, have a plan together to really cast the vision and sell the change continuously so you can stay relevant.
2: Well, I think it starts with, with us. We have to look inside and go, where am I on the scale of um, am I open to change? Am I open to stepping out of my comfort zone? Or are, are there some changes that I refuse to embrace? And are there things right now, even you know, kind of taking an assessment of our own lives, because change starts with us and we have to you can't control somebody else, but you know, maybe they can see the change in you and go, I want what you're having. Mm-hmm. that kind of thing but it's like you know each must go inside and go and am, am i willing or am i resisting and what changes am i okay with and what changes am i fighting and, is, and what changes should i fight and what changes should i embrace and i think mm-hmm. those are things like always just kind of being aware and finding somebody to have that dialogue with too yeah. that's always so important and you know it's like let's talk this out and i know you're unique that you have to do that and process out loud Um, and it's helpful to kind of understand what we really think about this and being able to help others on that journey of change. So yeah, it's a journey, right?
1: It is. And it's an, it's an amazing journey, but I I love how you said that you have to process and, and be able to have that person to share those thoughts with. And I know you and I, because we have each other for therapy, you forget other people don't get to come alongside. And by the time you know, we throw up on them, then you're like, wait, how come you're not catch up? How come you're not
2: there with us? (laughs) Well, and so hold that thought because we're going to go into our first commercial break and come back with our guest, Lori Benton, and we're going to continue our conversation on change and all sorts of good things. We'll be right back.
0: For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world.
2: It's words
4: you never heard. Have you ever walked into a room on a mission to get something and totally forgot what you went in there for? I do it all the time, which makes me feel like a total sieve head, as the Brits would say. Some might blame it on old age, but a recent study reported in the Quarterly Journal of Experimental Psychology suggests the simple act of passing through a doorway causes memory lapses. It appears the brain regards a doorway as an event boundary and effectively files away whatever you were thinking about as soon as you step through. What's a word for the feeling your thoughts are being stolen? New kleptia. So, what's the solution? Try carrying an object that reminds you of the task. For example, if you go into another room to get a pair of scissors, carry the object you want to cut. It's words you never I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
0: Welcome back.
1: Well, we are here with Lori Benton. Lori was raised east of the Appalachian Mountains, surrounded by early American history going back 300 years. Her novels transport readers to the 18th century, where she brings the colonial and early federal periods of American history to life. She's the author of Burning Sky, The Pursuit of Tamsin Little John. The woods edge and a flight of arrows. Her latest release is Mini Sparrows, and we are excited to dive into that, Lori. So, tell us a little bit about uh, your books, and we'll, we'll actually we'll start out with you're living in Oregon, right?
5: That's correct. Yes, I've been living in Oregon since the nineteen nineties, but I grew up. I was born in Virginia. And I was raised in Maryland, just outside the D.C. Beltway. Um, Lived there for about 25 years.
1: Oh, wow. Well, Lisa and I both had our oldest sons move to to Oregon. And so we're still in the the grieving period of uh, losing our, our firstborns to the Oregon wilderness. (laughs) <laughs> well, goodness, I'm a firstborn, so I suppose I did
5: that to my mom as well. <laughs> evil, just evil.
2: <laughs> but it's beautiful country. It's beautiful up there. Oh, it's it it, it really is. I love it here. It does yes. make
5: it a little bit harder when writing uh, stories set three thousand miles back east when it comes to the research, but I really do love Oregon.
2: Okay, yeah. I've got to tell you, I love history, and um, I love reading historical fictions. And I just—we were talking earlier. I just got back from a trip, kind of exploring parts of the South and meeting with some amazing people, and kind of understanding kind of our rich history and, and the good and the bad and the ugly and with it, and just kind of understanding. So, um, I'm looking forward to having kind of that historical conversation because I think it, I think when we understand history, it connects the dots to today because you can go, okay, that's why this happens now, because back when, this all happened. And so that's what I think is fascinating about about history, and it is the retelling of stories. And so I find it fascinating. So um, I wanted to hear a little bit about you you growing up back there. Obviously, you're rich in the history, um, being outside of D.C. growing up and just back east, but how did you start embracing and get really interested in, in history and understanding it, and, and then and then transforming that into writing.
5: Okay, well, you know, the same thing is uh, growing up back East. I really was surrounded by a lot of history, that's true. And, uh, you know, a lot of that was Civil War history. For for whatever reason, I really didn't pick up on the whole 18th century Revolutionary War, the early colonial stuff. Um, you know, and it wasn't until, and, you know, it was nothing more profound that got me uh, what I would call hooked on 18th century history, nothing more profound than I saw a movie called The Patriot, starring <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, starred Mel Gibson and Heath Ledger, and, you know, uh, for the first time for some reason, I paid attention to what the guys were wearing. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I have been thinking about trying my hand at historical fiction, and I don't know. I just it was the costumes in the movie that made me decide I want the guys in my books to be wearing those knee breeches. So I did a quick Google search to find out, you know, when that fashion came and went, and uh, it looked like it disappeared around eighteen hundred. So I zeroed in on the late seventeen hundreds as I was hunting for a time and place to set a story. And, you know, as silly as that sounds, you know, I did not know that I had taken the first step on a journey that has lasted, um, you know, nearly two decades, and that I was discovering a passion for the 18th century for the colonial and <clears throat> early up federal American history. that I, I never saw that coming. Um, I, like, mm-hmm. I opened a gold mine, and, you know, God knew. Mm-hmm. It might have been a silly thing that sparked my interest, but God knew um,
2: what he had in store for me there. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. so what did you, as you are getting into this, and it started with, you know, the wardrobe, which disgusts um, <laughs> me, the knickers or whatever, how did that lead Like, did you just, it's like unpeeling the onion? Was that like, kind of out, like oh my gosh, I look nervous, and you start just discovering so much to it? Um, I'm sorry, I didn't catch that question. I said it was it kind of like peeling back the onion. As you got into this, you started like, oh wow, I didn't realize this, and then there's this, and all these different aspects of that that time. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know
5: that that process of like you said peeling back an onion has not stopped. Um, you know, I have so many ideas rolling around in my head for possible stories to set during the 18th century, and they all come from research. Um, my current book, Many Sparrows, uh, started that way. I was doing the research for um, just the backstory for characters in my previous book, The Pursuit of Tamsin, Little John. And I just came across some interesting nuggets of history that I had never heard of. Um, I mean, who, who among your listeners has heard of uh, Dunmore's War? It happened in 1774, just before the American Revolution began. I certainly hadn't heard of that, um, but when it came time to start looking for a new story to write, I, I knew—you know—I love the frontier. I love uh, writing about characters who are caught between the Native American cultures and the settlers and the European immigrants. Um, I, I like that border. I write like characters who are caught between the two. So I was looking for another such story to write, and I I remembered that backstory that I had come across while while doing the research for the earlier novel, *Tamsen on," and I thought, huh, I'd like to explore that. I think, and so that's what I ended up doing. So that that process keeps happening. Uh, I don't think I'm ever going to run out of ideas for stories to set on the 18th century frontier because of it. Mm, wow
1: that's that's so interesting you know we were talking about change at the beginning of the show and how we fight change and especially now with with technology and you know i i was laughing i literally you can order dog food on amazon and get it that day it, it it's like <laughs> I'm do that. and yet you're you're writing. Um, you know, about things that are happening, the native tribes and women that were were pregnant and uh, just the changes that have taken place all the way from here you are uh, dealing with so many things of of how people lost their lives to, you know, these dangerous endeavors to, to now, you know, ordering dog food and getting it the same day. So what were some of the changes that, you focus on where the, as they were going through their travels going hey this is scary this kind of change this kind of going into the unknown how do I stay relative in my culture You know, what what do you find that it's happening as you're doing your research there
5: uh, well I think one of the things that draws me to writing about these kind of characters that that take these steps, that cross these boundaries, frontiers, um, and also those who are on the other side as, as these new and strange people are coming into their lands, is that um... I'm fascinated, and I find these characters, I find them in history, and so a lot of my characters that I write are based on real people that actually live these kind of um, uh, transformations, I guess is what I call them, because these people that, that make this transition, they're exposed to different life ways, they're exposed to different challenges, things that they're obviously not prepared for, not expecting. I mean, that's just how life works, you know, and... If they managed not to kill each other, I think so many of them learn from each other. And like, like the frontiersmen, it's something as small as adopting the Native American way of dressing because it just worked on the frontier, you know, uh, rather than, than the European style of dressing. But, you know, it went so much deeper than that. And I'm just fascinated by those characters whose, um, I guess you could call it their worldview at the time, was greatly expanded by the encounters that they had on the frontier. Again, they weren't always peaceful, obviously. Sometimes uh, they ended in tragedy, as uh, in the opening of my uh, new release, Many Sparrows. It starts with uh, such a cultural clash and a tragedy. Uh, That's the inciting incident that starts this story forward. Um, But still, just the fact that You know, men and women were brave enough, especially the women, I think. Um, In in my story, uh, Claire Inglesby, my main character, she's heavily pregnant as her husband has decided to up and move the family from their uh, Shenandoah Valley, Virginia home across the frontier into Kentucky that was just beginning to be uh, settled, not always legally in that case. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just the thought of of doing something like that at all back when it was foot travel or horse travel or wagon travel and get to be pregnant at the time. I mean, just the amazing... I can't attitude. even imagine. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, I'm thankful they did it and I don't have to. I would much rather be ordering dog food on Amazon, I have to say. <laughs> yes. Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah, our first world issues uh, really... We don't have to complain about
2: a whole lot. That's for sure. How yeah. did you? How did you? We have less than two minutes before we take a commercial break. But how did you discover and find these these characters? Just a lot of reading and research. Well, you know the
5: specific characters in the story, Jeremiah and Claire. I for Jeremiah, this really started. The story really started with him. He's my frontiersman. He uh, comes along in uh, Claire's time of need. Claire's. Um, during the journey, Claire is basically left alone with her four-year-old son, and she's in labor, and <laughs> her son vanishes, and Jeremiah Ring is a frontiersman that happens upon her, and, you know, he was really the first character to come to me. I just mean I wanted to write about a frontiersman, you know, and I had him, I maybe had a name, and just a few bits of things put away in a computer file for years maybe. And just gradually as I was um, researching, writing other books, little bits would stick to the bits already in that file. And eventually I saw a story form. So then I began to wonder, okay, I've got this frontiersman, and I, I know he's torn
2: between these two worlds of, of Shawnee no. Indians in this case. No, We're we'll going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
0: We'll be right back with the story. Mm-hmm. This is Girlfriended on TuggyNet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio, right after these.
3: We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives.
0: Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
3: Reading the nutrition labels on the food you consume is vitally important. Food manufacturers are getting tricky with their labeling, so make sure you're taking the time to thoroughly investigate the food you buy. One example that is very misleading is when a bag of chips says zero trans fats on the package. Eat This, Not That explains that the FDA allows manufacturers to make this claim when their products contain less than 0.5 grams of trans fats per serving. It may seem insignificant, but 0.49 grams of this despicable fat can add up quickly. They recommend that you keep total trans fats intake to no more than 1% of total calories. The best advice, skip the chips and eat fresh fruit instead. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond.
0: Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on togynet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa.
1: We are moving forward with Laurie Benton as we go back into time, into the 18th century, where you were sharing with us, Laurie, a little bit about this character and how you developed them. So please continue on. I think you were talking about Jeremy.
5: Uh, Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah. Ring, yes. Jeremy. Yeah. Okay. So he was the first character in this book that came to me, my friend, Tiersman. So, you know, it was all still on the back burner, uh, But I began thinking about what sort of woman I might add to um, my frontiersman's story. And so then that begs the question, why would she be on the frontier, and what might compel her to cross the line, and um, in what way might my frontiersman's path get tangled up with hers? And as I asked such questions, the character of Claire Inglesby eventually formed. Um, And at the same time, I started looking at what was happening on the frontier at various points before and after the Revolutionary War in this setting so it's kind of an organic process Um, you know one thing kind of feeds off the other research feeds into it Um, yeah it's very hard to go back and untangle it's a very tangled path uh, to how a story actually gets formed
1: Mm -hmm. well I love how you have created the storyline and and as you're reading it it, it's as if you're doing a little bit of a of a devotion (laughs) I feel like Mm -hmm. you've done a good job of you know, showing how we have to surrender situations to God and when you're doing it in this, you know, historical era and we're the same yesterday as we are today. It's the same issues. Yeah, I might be able to order dog food and get it on the same day through Amazon, but you're still having to rely on God to resolve all of these situations and the the circumstances. And as you're reading you go. Wow! It would seem as though this would be really overwhelming, and there would be a lot of anxiety. And yet, I feel as though today in our world, with uh, you know, younger moms and the issues that we're you know having to figure out what kind of powder you know to use, <laughs> that's just as much angst that that's there. And uh, I, so it's interesting why, as you're doing this, um, I I started to say, why is it so difficult to surrender these situations? But, uh, how, how are you dealing with your own spiritual walk while you're writing this? Does it help you go, okay, I can't write about this if I'm not actually doing it myself?
5: Oh, I love this question. Okay. Um, I think with this book, many stories more than any other, and it's true for every book, but this one is so true that I tend to write about things that either the Lord is currently um, working really front burner with me in my walk with Him, in my life circumstances, my relationships, or maybe He's just brought me through it. Now, I when writing about something he's currently working with me through, that can be pretty, pretty tough. Um, cause maybe I don't have the answers. Um, but I, with many sparrows, you know, there there were situations in my life within the last oh, few years that I found it difficult to surrender to him. I found it difficult to wait, uh, for him to do his work. Um, I, I rushed ahead of him a time or two, or maybe even three, and <laughs> tried to fix things in my own understanding, my own wisdom. And this is something that Claire Inglesby in my story, this is this is the temptation she's faced with when her son is captured. Um, she is determined to get him back, and she does not want to hear that she may have to wait and let God uh, work out some things that other people's lives first but you know what we still face that it's a timeless it's a timeless thing um we all face that i think at some time or another where it just doesn't look like there's any way for a situation that's either disappointed us or or broken our hearts or just causing us stress or fear or pain um is going to be resolved so it is so tempting isn't it to want to rush in and and try to fix it, try to make it better. But you know what I found in my own um, situations that I just make it worse when I do that, you know, and if I would just sit still, and not sit still and fret, but sit still and remember what the Word says about who God is and what He is and His plans for us, that He is sovereign um, if he's allowed something into our lives, it's, it's not a big surprise to him, and it's not a mistake. Um, he He's good. There's nothing that he will allow to come into our lives that doesn't pass muster with him first. That's what I believe. And also, he has good plans for us. And so... Whatever is happening, it's eventually going to work for good and maybe that's going to be eternal good. Maybe I know it's not it's not pleasant. It's not comfortable to be in a place of surrender when it feels like everything around you is spinning out of control. It's not an easy place to be for anyone. Um, and I think that's why we find it so difficult to surrender and even even in our minds to stop fretting and just to trust what we know of the word what the word tells us of the word all the promises in scripture you know even hoping when we have no hope just in the face of no hope cling to not our feelings not our emotions but what the word has to say about who our father is mm-hmm.
1: and it, it's so easy to hear you say the words to go oh yeah i just need to surrender i just need to get into god's word and and read it, and then I'll have this overwhelming wisdom <laughs> to move <laughs> forward. But it's truly different when you're in that situation, and especially uh, just like your character in the book when it's your child. Be it yeah. all of a sudden your child vanishing or your child is making silly choices, uh, just to be able to step back is, is so difficult um, in, in doing that. And Lori, do you, do you have kids? I do not. Uh, and so tell us a little bit about that. Cause you, these characters, I mean, it's,
5: you, it's, it's like your characters are your kids. So. Oh yes, even, that's, that's yeah. That's very much true. I, I call them my book children. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 Well, that that made riding many sparrows um, quite the challenge. But you know, that that overwhelming uh, love—you know—we we can feel that for for people or other than our children. So it was just a matter of you know who in my life would I. Um, feel like my entire world had crumbled if they were taken from me you know so i can just i transfer that and of course i have many many friends who are moms um so you know i just i would bounce ideas uh thoughts passages off of them to say this is resonating with you as a mom um just just to be sure i was staying on track with that
2: but yeah yeah well you know as you as you dive into history i this is kind of going a different little tangent but um as you were diving and doing your research and, and you know, um, kind of creating your characters, what what did you learn? I think sometimes that we, we've heard history and we've interpreted history and we've seen like certain things are true, but then when you really start researching and start doing things, you're like, well, maybe that wasn't exactly accurate or i had been told something different that I just took as true. Have, did you, have you discovered in all your research for your different characters and your different books, like, like wow, I didn't know this. This is different than what I thought. Have you had any of those kind of moments where it, 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 history has kind of spoken to you differently? Um, yeah, you know, I think
5: nothing major is standing out, but just, just in general, um, I think... I was unaware, and this is going back a long time now, because I've been, I've been researching the 18th century for quite a long time, but it seems to me my earliest memories were being surprised by just how ruthless and violent um, the settling of our country was. And mm-hmm. yet, you know, sprinkled in there, and this is something that just so grips me, my heart as a writer, are the occasions where the various cultures on the frontier met in friendship and were able to uh, coexist peacefully. And quite often, unfortunately, it was not for a long time. It might have been brief little pockets in our history. But just just to see that that was possible, you know, and, and to glimpse what, what might have been. But, you know, Here's something I've learned, and it's that the people that lived then in in the 18th century, in the 1700s, those that settled um, our country, those that were already here, um, the Natives, they were just like we were, we are, um, flocked human beings, you know, whatever side of the frontier they were born on, um, there were men and women on both sides of the frontier that made Um, selfless decisions put each other first, helped each other, and there were those that made cruel, um, and selfish and grasping choices. Um, like I said, brutality isn't limited to one skin color or another. It's a condition of the human heart, but you know what? Neither is grace and love limited, and neither is forgiveness and friendship, and the capacity to have a heart changed and a life transformed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, And, you know, it really is that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the only way that that cycle of enmity that has been played across the face of this earth can be disrupted. Um, You know, it's not, I don't think it's in our power as human beings to, to be good, continually, you know, we are we are flawed, we are born in sin, and so in, in a lot of ways it's not surprising um, the history that I've uncovered. But it is a blessing to find those little pockets of peace, those little pockets of friendship, those little pockets
2: of of light and truth running out. Mm. And I think that there's so much we can learn from history, like you said. The, 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 the hard times and those good things of those pockets of peace. I love how you said that, and and where you saw that each side, you know, was trying to love on the other. And I think that's a powerful lesson that we need to be doing even today. Is how do we how do we disagree or see differently but still love the person and love each other, and, and not have to agree always. And how can we even be a part of changing history even today? And, and where we are with those little pockets of peace. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to be right back.
3: That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in
1: place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia.
0: Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
3: During the holidays, temptation is everywhere. Christmas parties, office parties, Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner, New Year's parties, not to mention the cookie exchanges and delectable food gifts. It seems like every time you turn around, you're faced with temptation to eat the wrong foods and get off your healthy living lifestyle. I want you to know that you can go through the holiday season and make good choices and still have a fabulous and merry time. This holiday season, don't make food your focus. There's so much more to the holidays than just incredible food. Make your family, friends, and loved ones the focal point of the season. Center in on the true meaning of why we celebrate and give thanks. It's okay to enjoy some wonderful food, too. Just keep your portion sizes in check and stay faithful to your exercise. I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our website at annettehammond.com.
1: our final stretch of our show with author Lori Benton, who writes novels and transports readers to the 18th century, where she brings the colonial and early federal periods of American history to life. And her latest release is Minnie Sparrows, and Lori, you were just sharing, and I, uh, I love how you said it, to find pockets of friendship and pockets of peace, and especially today in our world that is just so fast-paced to be able to, to really do those self-audits and go, where are my pockets of friendship and where are those pockets of peace? And, and what you said about the Holy Spirit, that we just, as humans, it's not in our power to be good, which is a very, very scary thought. <laughs> but I want you to, if you can, tell us, unpack a little
5: bit more of that. Oh, sure. Um, well, I just feel that, you know, it's the Lord working in us. I mean, Scripture even clearly says there is no one that's good, not one. Only the Lord is good. And, you know, I, I think we as we grow in Him, we, um, we are less prone, I think, as we walk with Him to... Um, putting ourselves first and, and not thinking about other people. But, you know, as we grow in him, I think we also learn just how sinful we are and how weak we are. I think we learn just more and more is revealed to us how needful was the price he paid for us. Um, you know, he, he is sufficient where I am weak. He is all seeing where I see through a glass so darkly. And I think when it comes to this whole issue of surrender, um, which is a theme of many sparrows, of surrendering to his will, surrendering our own faulty um, idea of what is right and what is just and what needs to happen, surrendering our own um, very understandable emotional need for the pain of our circumstances to be lifted. Um, And to trust Him, and to trust that He's going to strengthen us and and help us to endure, and it's for a reason. I think the more that we're in His Word, and the longer we walk with Him, the more we see those things. Um, and, And we are transformed from glory to greater glory and i do believe that as we walk with him we don't become sinless but we sin less and really you know it, like the circumstances i'm writing about in um, many sparrows these frontier clashes that happen in this book and all my books um you know they really that really is the only key in my opinion the only cure in my opinion is, is walking with the Lord, having that relationship with the Lord, and letting Him transform our natural desire to make everything right, no matter at the expense of, of whoever else. Make everything right for us the way we want it. And, you know, God has a much bigger plan in mind than just our little narrow of interest and hopes and dreams, and uh, the title, Many Sparrows, speaks to that. Um, the verses in Matthew 10 are quoted in the front matter about um, God being concerned, uh, more concerned with us than sparrows and that there are many of them. Not one falls to the ground without him noticing. Um, you know, none of us lose unto ourselves. All the choices we make um, even very small ones do have an influence in all the people that we're connected to in ways that we can't see or fathom. And so, God, I think I think we're going to see this when we get to heaven. God is so busy weaving all our stories and just the influence that we have, and and the fact that it's not all about us. Um, when things go wrong in our lives, sometimes he's working out something for someone else through us, and we just need to be still and be patient and wait and let him do that work. That's something I explore um, in in the story, in Claire's story. And, um, yeah, that being still, getting our our, uh, focus off ourselves, just remembering that God's got a bigger plan in mind that we can we can imagine and that we're part of it and that we're important to him but it's such a broader scope than just our circumstances.
2: Yeah. And I think that's a great lesson that we learned even from history. It's so much bigger. We're part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And and yet exactly. in the midst of that, that God cares and sees each one of us individually and very personally. And you know, trying to just grasp all that is that we are significant in the bigger picture and not the bigger picture overwhelm us. But it is encouraging to know that we're part of something bigger too at the same time. And, and that, you know, like even these characters that you have discovered in history and are, um, you know, these people that you're basing your characters on, they had no idea when they were living their ordinary lives that, you know, two, 300 years later, someone would use their, their story to tell a, a, another story. And I think that's, that's kind of cool, how sometimes in our just ordinary lives, you never know what God can do through our ordinariness, and, mm-hmm. and that's pretty exciting. Okay, so before we, we have to get off the show, um, how can our listeners um, learn more about you, find the book, and are you allowed to give us like a sneak peek or tease about what you're working on now? Oh, yeah,
5: I sure can. Um, well, <clears throat> I'll start with that. Uh, I'm working on another 18th century story. It's set in a slightly earlier um, decade in the 1700s than I've ever written before, the 1740s, and I'm going back to North Carolina for a setting. I visited that once before with the Pursuit of temps and Little John. Um, it's tentatively titled The King's Mercy and I don't have a publication date yet but I'm, I'm guessing sometime late in 2018 it'll be out and readers can find uh, well my books are sold at Amazon, Barnes and Noble online, wherever you buy books uh, CBD um, you, can, you can connect with me on Facebook um, I have an author page um, author Lori Benton on Twitter, I'm LLB26, and for something different on Instagram, I also like to take um, photos of the Pacific Northwest. You'll find me on Instagram as Lori L. Benton, or you can connect with me on my website, which is lauriebenton.blogspot.com, and if I have a minute, I'd like to share it today. Um, There is a really fun event for readers getting underway online, and it's called the Christian Fiction Scavenger Hunt. You can access that uh, via my lloydbenton.blogspot.com site, and it should give you all the instructions you need, but there's 25 authors participating, and there are scads of giveaways, books, Amazon gift cards, and uh, it's going to last all weekend, so if you're a fan of Christian fiction, uh, you won't want to miss this. It's, again, it's called the Christian Fiction Scavenger Hunt, and um, yeah, you should just be able to access all you need to know through my uh, website. So that sounds fine.
1: <laughs> Lord, that is so. I, I'm just. I realize I'm. I'm sitting here with a smile on my face. We started out today's show talking about change and how do we embrace change and how do we, you know, get out of our comfort zone. And I, I was curious as you were talking, and then you all of a sudden start talking about this delightful scavenger hunt and the photos that you take. And you've obviously embraced change as an author and, uh, you know, putting out there in, in your blogs. But I, I wanted to ask you. Were you a part of when you first started writing, having a hard copy book and having to then go into ebooks, etc.? Were you a part of that change?
5: You know, um, I, ebooks were already a thing. So my first book was published in 2013. So, um, yeah, so it, it came out in so, print. So this and was a book th- at the same time
1: yeah a natural progression because it is interesting if you were an author where you're having to do a a lot of you know going through the publishing companies and now to be able to I you know obviously you're still going through a publishing company but it's it's neat to hear how you've embraced the change even down to the Christian fiction scavenger hunt
5: (laughs) yeah well I tell you I have I witnessed a lot of change in the whole publishing industry. I started paying attention to it back in the early 90s, even though I wasn't published until 2013. I was working towards that goal that entire time. It only took me 22 years. (laughs) But, But from the time I began to the time I was published, the landscape of publishing changed completely. Well, there wasn't even an Internet when I began writing. So you can imagine what what it's like for an author now when it comes to promoting work. We get to do things
2: like a scavenger hunt, you know. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Well, and that's so fun because, like, thinking creatively, like, how do we get the message out? Yeah. When you were saying that, I'm like, well, that's a fun thing to do to get books out. And I love that you're gathering other authors together and doing it together. How fun is that? yeah. 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 Well, that's so close. Cool. So, okay, so as we conclude, we have about two minutes. Is there anything you want us to know, our listeners to know about um, what's coming, with, what you're, where you are, uh, or anything else? Well, how, how about is, Oregon? How about Oregon? I'm interested in Oregon now. What, okay, so you're taking these pictures, these beautiful pictures. How did that happen? Leave us on an on a, you know, a, a Oregon high. <laughs> well,
5: okay. I, you know, I started all this because I joined, I got my first smartphone last year and I, I found Instagram and I realized what, what all these uh, wonderful landscape photographers were doing and I thought, you know what, here I am living in this beautiful state and I'm not getting out there and I'm not finding all these places. So I thought, well, you know what, let's change. <laughs> speaking of change. Mm-hmm. It's been a big change in my life. But really, it. It's like, almost like writing a book. I do my research first. I figure out where I'm going to go. I plot out times and sunrises, sunsets, tides, if that's applicable, if I'm on the coast. And then I just, I carve out the time. I might make a motel reservation. I might plot out a day trip. And I take off with my new Sony Alpha camera. And I... Yeah, do my best to get some good shots. And then, I, and then I come back and do the editing process, and that's half
2: the fun for me. You know, I used to be a Lori, painter gotta, we, before. Lori, we've got to go. Thank you so much for sharing. Get on the website oh, and learn more about Lori Benton. Thanks for a great show. Thank you.